Welcome, welcome your backup plan tribe to another great series for our show today. If you are new here, welcome to our show. My name is Tina again. You have reached Talking Taboo with Tina, brought to you by your backup plan. I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. Yes. Do you remember Jeannie from back in the 70s and the 80s? Yes. That's what happens. Something can occur as quickly as in the blink of an eye. I am a financial expert, an app developer of your backup plan app, and I'm located here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So welcome to our channel. Um, I get my hand out. Yes. Click on that bell down here and click on the subscribe button if you already have it. And if you are a returning subscriber, thank you. Thank you so very, very much. Um, um, I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and Canada. And our next biggest group is Germany and Ireland and Italy and India are coming up in the ranks. Can you believe it? We are getting around the world. I'm so happy to have each and every one of you. Meine deutsche Freunde sind unserem Podcast willkommen. Wenn Sie Kommentare haben, können Sie gerne Fragen stellen. Also danke für deine Freundschaft und danke fürs Erhören, meine deutsche Freunde. So thank you very much, my German listeners. You are still staying on the third position in our show. So thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, what is your backup plan app? Anyways, I get this question all the time. What is it, Tina? Well, it's it puts your life all in one place in case of any unpredictable circumstance while taking that painful aftermath out of the tragedy or the situation. What does that mean? You know, we have a special guest on our show today. What is a death doula? And does it help in the transition of passing. I'd like to cover that area so specifically because we all are going to die at some point. We just don't know when, we don't know how, and we're just not prepared because we think we're Superman in this world, this 3D world that we're in, that we think that's, you know, nothing's going to happen to us. Nothing. And uh, Mike Tyson, his famous quote says, Everything, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Isn't that true? Because we think, oh, you know, I hear all the time, Tina, I have a will. Yeah, that's one thing of like a hundred things that you could do for yourself to be better prepared for the unexpected. Because a will is not going to help you if you have a wildfire and your house burns down. A will is not going to help you if you have a tornado or a hurricane, or if you're in a car accident and you're in ICU. Those types of things we cover in our app and in our new, we're launching the Emerging Blueprint program, which is really a library of videos, worksheets, how to have family conversations with your friends, with your family members, your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad. Having workshops, we hold workshops with your backup plan. We talk about getting some appies, some wine, some coffee, whatever it is, having your worksheets and sitting around the table as a big family of friends or family and talking about what is it that you'd like to have happen? What do you want the picture to look like? 
Do you want to, in retirement, do you want to go into a home? Do you want to stay in your basement suite? Do you want to be in an apartment? Do you want to be with family? What is it that's best for you? And we talk about those things. And we should be talking, but unfortunately, it's taboo subjects in our world. And I'm here to help you and guide you through the process of making that simpler. So let's get this party started because I know you are all dying to meet Jill McLennan here from New Jersey, United States. Let's bring her on. Hi, Jill. Hi, how are you today? I'm great. And I'm so excited to talk about you being my first death doula on our show. I am so excited to let everybody know why you went into such a career as well as what it brings to you and how it started for you. Yeah, it's, um, it was kind of a long path. Um, I think if we want to go all the way, all the way back uh, to when I was a child, I would volunteer with my grandmother at a local assisted living. And we would, um, I was Catholic at the time. I was raised Catholic. We would make rosary beads and we would take them and give them out. And we would take people to mass in their wheelchairs and all this stuff. And I used to love to go in and talk to people and sit and hold their hands. And I don't know why, like I just felt drawn. It seemed like almost the people that were the least verbally communicative were the ones that I was like, I want to just sit with them. I want to talk to them. But I didn't really think anything of it. It just kind of was something that I did. I don't know. It didn't scare me. I just thought it was nice. And then as I got older, um, I actually went into food service. So I've been in food service since I was in high school. But when I moved back home to New Jersey, I moved in with my 90-year-old grandmother. Uh, so me and my husband, we moved in, we opened a bakery, and we lived with her for the last four years of her life. And not too long after we moved home, she ended up getting diagnosed with cancer. And so she went through some treatments. Again, she lived about another four years. Uh, but once we got to the actual like active dying, like the real end, the hospital sent her home. She had had what she called her episodes. So she had gone into the hospital and the hospital sent her home and said, we're going to put her on hospice. Um, who takes care of her? And I said, oh, well, that'll be me because I live with her. I'm already helping anyway. I didn't yeah. think anything of it. I thought, okay, grandma's going to come home. She's probably going to sleep a little bit more for the last couple of weeks, whatever it is. No big deal. I was not prepared. Nobody tells you what it's going to be like caring for somebody that is really at the end stage of their life. That's really actively dying. And hospice is wonderful. I mean, the nurses came in and within the first 24 hours of being home with her, I had at the time a six month old baby and so I got up in the middle of the night. I heard her making a bunch of noise. I get up in the middle of the night. I'm holding the baby because, of course, you know, that's what you do when you have six-month-olds. Yeah. And I go into her room, and she starts saying to me, oh, well, my granddaughter has a baby the same age as yours. And I said, well, Grandma, I'm your granddaughter. And she said, no, you're not. You're the nurse. And I was like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> like, what do I do with this information? Um, and so it was a very interesting first night with her. Um, and hospice was wonderful. You know, they came in, they sat down with me for a little bit and explained to me what was going on. So she lived about four weeks after she came home. And throughout that time, I 
really found that the experience, the more that I could relax into it and the more that I wasn't afraid of what was happening, the more that I asked questions that I would understand, it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life, especially to be able to go through that experience with somebody that I loved so much and that I spent so much time with, um, to be there with her during that time by the, like, Within a few days, even I had said to my husband, I might want to go back to school and be a hospice nurse. Like this is something that I really feel drawn towards. Um, But I just wasn't sure if I wanted to be a nurse, you know, and then again, I had a baby. So, you know, we ended up having a second child. We closed our bakery. um, We ended up moving like just life happened. But it always stayed in the back of my mind where I kept finding myself drawn. And I think, again, I always was drawn, even since I was a child, mm-hmm. towards end of life things. Um, so in 2019, I heard about a death doula on a podcast. And as soon as I heard it, it really, it was one of those moments when it felt like something in my body was like, that's it. Was that's like, it. Click. Exactly. It was like that, like, this is what you've been waiting for. Um, And again, I'm, you know, I've been in food service for a very long time. I'm 43 now. And so I had already started thinking to myself, I need kind of a backup plan. Like, I don't think I want to work in food service, even until retirement age, which in this country, it's around 65, you know, like, I don't think I want to work in a kitchen that long. Um, So I had already kind of started thinking like, well, what do I really want to do? And so again, once I heard death doula, I was like, that's what you're meant to do. Like not just want to do, like it really felt like it was a calling and it's something that I can do until I die. Right. Like I can support people for the rest of my life. As long Um, as you can get there and leave, you're good to go. Well, and now even with, you know, again, uh, Zoom or whatever app you want to use, I don't know, the way that the world is going now, I've actually supported a lot of people through this experience over technology, not even in person, which I didn't expect when I first started, right? Think 2019, I'd never even heard of Zoom. And so I, when I started my training, in like uh, February of 2020, I thought, okay, I'm just only going to work with people in person. And then of course we all know what happened. And so all of a sudden the world was using the computer for everything. And so I actually have found, uh, especially people that maybe find out that their, you know, parent or grandparent is dying and they don't live close to them. You know, I've yeah. had people that I've worked with that live all the way on the other side of the country from me because I can still support them through this experience of, you know, what is coming up for you when you found out that somebody you loved was dying? Because we're not prepared. None of us really experience death and dying in a healthy manner. Um, Since we're children, it's something that we don't talk about. In a lot of cases, we're not even allowed to be around it when you're young. So we really don't know what to expect. And so all of a sudden, it's like, hey, by the way, somebody you really love is probably going to die really soon. Here you go. Figure out what to do. And it's not always going to be Again, what we expect. I know it wasn't for me what I was expecting. It actually turned out to be more beautiful and more just this this deep like connection to not just my grandmother. I think. 
Exactly. There was like this peacefulness and this like opportunity to really think about things and see things differently. And she was experiencing things that I couldn't see or hear. And I didn't know what to make of it. But I also knew that at that point, I was like, she is really seeing and hearing people that I can't see and hear. But she was very lucid sometimes. Like it was, it was her that where she would recognize me, and she'd yeah. be like, "Jill, you don't see them," and I'm like, "No, Grandma, I don't see anything." But I also could feel it. Like I could feel the way that the energy just changed. Everything shifted and changed as she got closer and closer to the actual death. And it was. I amazing. think you can only do that, Jill, though, when you're present. And we yes. talk about this on the show and we talked about it before backstage about how, you know, if you're not present, you can't experience any of that. Mm -hmm. You can't that is experience, correct. you know, and I, I want people to experience it because it is beautiful and it helps you with your regret and, oh, I should have said this and I should have said that. And why didn't I talk about this before? And why didn't I call my mom every day? And why didn't, mm -hmm. you know, why? Yes. <laughs> yes, you're right. I mean, there's so, because we're not prepared, so much comes up. So it's not even just necessarily what we're experiencing with mom. We're also experiencing all these fears, all this guilt and shame and past grief that we've pushed down. You know, I don't think most of us grieve properly. I think we tend to shove things down. And we also don't grieve things that we should be grieving, right? So like, I yeah. think most of the time, if you say grief, somebody thinks, oh, well, nobody I know close to me has ever died. So I've never grieved. Have you ever had a pet that's died? Have you ever lost a friendship, a very close friend? Have you ever lost a lover or a husband? Have you ever... Exactly. Divorce. Divorce is a huge thing for us to grieve. Jobs, right? People that have left behind jobs, careers have had to move. Like there's so a many things. Where you a grieve what you used to be like to what you are now. That's a huge one. Huge, huge one that people really take this idea of like, well, I've never had anything to grieve. You've actually had probably a lot of things to grieve. And because we don't properly grieve them, because we don't think we're supposed to, then it all gets shoved down. So then when somebody that you're close to is dying or dies, especially if it's sudden and you weren't expecting it, all of it's going to come up. It's going to try to get out of you one way or another. <laughs> And it tends to not come out. That's why a lot of families doesn't come out very well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It it really doesn't. Families end up arguing. They I, I've seen families that you know when somebody's died, things get said that can't be unsaid, and people don't speak to each other ever again for the rest yeah. of their lives. Yeah, and it's so sad because. Then what happens when we get to the end of our life and you haven't talked to your brother or you haven't talked to your sister because you're mad that they didn't do something or you're mad that they said something to you when you were trying to all deal with mom dying and now you're dying or they're dying and now you don't have the time to have that closure. So it just compounds because we don't heal, we don't process, we don't work with it the way that we really could work with it. And it's not even like I'm trying to say this to shame anybody or make them feel bad. Like if you've already experienced this, 
Don't sit there and go, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I really should have done things different. Like we don't know any different. We were not taught to do things any different. And really that's part of why I do the work that I do is not just to work with somebody at the end of life that's actively dying. I do this work because I want us to heal as humans collectively. I really truly believe that if we could face death and dying and grief differently, that we could actually heal the world. I really think so much of every fear that we have, so much of all the problems that we have in the world, when we dig down deeper into them, it's a fear of death. It's a fear of other because we're afraid others going to kill us or hurt us, right? There's so much that comes from the fact that we don't deal with death well. And it's unfortunate because it doesn't have to be that way. Well, and I say that, of course, of what I do, (laughs) you know, and and people don't want to face it when you are healthy because you think you have all this time and you think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it next week or I'll do it next month or, well, I don't really know what I need to do. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, so they don't do anything. Yes. So that's why I put together an easy to use assistant monitored kind of way of just do this. And then you can do this part when you want to, and you can do this part when you, you know, as you're doing it, you'll find it easier and easier because it's telling you what you need. You don't have to go looking. Well, what will the insurance company need when this happens? Do you know? Probably not. So that's why I kind of put everything together. And then when something happens, you can just be present and not worry about, you know, Susie wants the teacup and saucer that's in her cabinet. You know, why, why? (laughs) Yeah. But, but that's what people talk. Well, do you know what she wanted? Do you know if she wanted to be cremated and she didn't want that? And, oh, it's just a big zoo. It is. And it really is one of those things where uh, for I think we're afraid to talk about it. And then when we start to talk about it, think about how many times you've heard, especially somebody that's a little bit older saying, you know, I when I die, I want this. Oh, you're not dying anytime soon. Don't worry about that yet. So people shut the conversations down when people try to talk about it because they don't want to face the fact that mom or dad or our husbands or our partners, whatever, that they're going to die at some point. Like, yes, maybe I might be the first one to die out of my, you know, little family unit here, but I don't really even want that. You know, I don't want to, I want to live a long time and I would, you know, hopefully me and my husband, we we joke about it or we're like, we want to die at like the same time. Like, can we just like, figure out some way organize that, it. exactly to organize it so that we'll be in our nineties. And I always joke cause he's younger than me. And I'm like, perfect. Men die younger than women. So it'll work it'll out. It'll work fine. out. Exactly. It'll work out fine. We'll die at the same time. It's going to be fine. But reality is that's probably not what's going to happen. Right. And hopefully it's not going to happen anytime soon, but we need to have the conversations so that I know what he wants and so that he knows what I want. And not even just for me, I feel like a lot of times, especially when I first started this work, 
Yeah. One of the things that death doulas do is we help people get together like a death plan and advance health directives, things like that. And I used to say to people, you want to get these things in order. So you get what you want at the end of your life. Yes. But what I realized is actually more important is that you want to get these things together so that your family doesn't have to try to answer questions that they are not prepared to answer when they're upset. Exactly. They're, they just want to be able to be with you and sit with you and hold your hand and talk to you. They don't want to have to answer questions to the doctor when the doctor's saying, well, what do you want? Do you want a feeding tube or not? Because we need to know now. We need to put it in now. I, well, I don't know. What, what did she want? What did they? I don't know. I'm upset. I can't even think straight. Right. We're like, if we can get our stuff together, while, you know, I'm fully in my body, I'm able to think clearly, I'm able to say, you know, maybe under these circumstances, sure, do everything you have to do. You know, again, I'm 43, I have two young kids, like, for the most part, do everything you have to do to keep me alive, if I'm going to be able to come out of it and be a functioning human afterwards, if it's going right. to leave me a vegetable for the next 40 years, absolutely not. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for my husband, but I also don't want my husband or my children to have to make that decision. I don't no, want that. Burden that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And again, I want, if God forbid something happened, I want my husband to be able to sit with me and talk to me and be with me for whatever time I have left, not be trying to answer questions and trying to make this decision that nobody wants to have to make. Yeah. So we need to really think about the things that we want. We need to have the conversations with the people that we love and really like sit through the little bit of discomfort because it's not as uncomfortable as you think it's going to be. It honestly yeah. is scarier it's, it's like I tell my daughter when she goes to get a shot. I'm like, you yeah. get yourself so worked up about the shot. The shot itself isn't the hard part. It's the fact that for hours before you scream and you cry and you carry on, where like we kind of do the same thing around these conversations. Yeah. We don't want to do it. We don't want to talk about it. We get ourselves all upset and all worked up, where once we start to talk about it, then people will usually say to me like, oh, this actually, this feels calm. Like this feels peaceful. Like you make this feel easy. You make it feel it like easy. it's something doable. Exactly. And I'm like, well, with some guidance, it is easy. But again, unfortunately, most of us don't have that guidance. It's not like yeah. a class we take in school. And maybe some of us, if we belong to a church or something, maybe sometimes the people that run the church will help you have these conversations. But for the most part, we don't have access to people that can guide us through this until it's the end and we need to have it and we don't have a choice but to make the decisions. So it's definitely better, like, let's start having the conversations now. And I think that's what a lot of death doulas, you know, like if you start looking on like social media, you'll see the yeah. hashtags of like death positive, death positive movement, you know, death conversations. A lot of death doulas were out trying to get people to have these conversations with us. And I even started a Facebook group fairly recently with the sole purpose of having conversations that 
just allow us to start exploring our ideas and our beliefs around death and dying and just to be able to talk to each other about it because it does feel easier i think to start with people that you're not super close with right where you're not going to yeah. get emotional um but the more that you start to do it really the more you're going to realize that it's really not as hard as you think it is the really hard part is having to do it when you're upset and emotional and you don't have a choice because it's like we need to know right now and it's so hard to make decisions it's so hard because your brain disappears in trauma at the yes. moment and, and you, you can't yeah and death doesn't even have to be traumatizing i mean it's like yes if there's a you know an accident something sudden happens of course that that's different but I think for a lot of us, we're either afraid that death is going to be traumatizing. So yeah. we start to shut down immediately and we start to get, you know, overly upset and overly emotional. And again, part of the brain shuts off <laughs> and like it just becomes a thing. But death itself, it's natural, right? Like if you're born, you're going to die. And just like laboring with birth, there is things that happen to a body at the end of life, especially if it's more of what you would call like a natural death. Like, again, it's not like an accident and somebody yeah. dies. It's more like, okay, they're, they're dying. It's a process. It can take a couple days to a couple weeks. There are signs that people that work with death will start to see that not always, but usually will happen as the body starts to shut down. And it doesn't have to be traumatic and scary and overwhelming if you have people that can help guide you through it. And that's why, again, hospice is amazing. Hospice is wonderful. But hospice is very focused on the medical care, the medical needs of just keeping the person, you know, comfortable and keeping them clean yeah. and, you know, working with the person that's dying, where a lot of death doulas, when we come in, it's not just about working with the person that's dying. We're really there to work with everybody. Um, and again, not all doulas. We all do things a little bit differently. Yeah. Well, your, um, it's your personalities too. Exactly. It's our personalities. It's what we're comfortable with, you know, what type of training we've gone through. But, you know, for the most part, a lot of us, it's a very holistic type of end of life care that deals with the person that's dying, but really also can help. I almost say sometimes I'm like a mediator between like yeah. the family members, because again, a lot of emotions come up, a lot of things that we haven't dealt with come up. And even if the person that you're with is nonverbal and you think that they're completely like unconscious that they can't hear, they can hear everything that is happening. And I think even more so because we're, you know, one foot in, one foot out, we're almost yeah. between the two realms. I think they're yeah. more sensitive to the energy even in the room. And so like, if you're mad at your sister or you're mad at your brother or you're, you know, mad at your ex-husband, like whatever it is, if they're in that space with you, especially if you're having conversations and you're arguing with each other, the person that is there that's actually experiencing this death they can hear it, they can feel it, they can sense it. And so really kind of like, let's keep that outside. Let's go in the other room and deal with that. And so that's part of what coming up with our death plan is about is like, yeah. also, who do we want around? You know, there's some people that might not want 
a parent around or might not want somebody that would try to come into that space. They may not right. want them there, but how is anybody going to, I'm not going to know, even as the death doula, if we haven't talked about it, where if you've told me, I don't want my sister in the room when it comes to the end, because I know she's going to have a really hard time. She's going to try to control the situation, whatever it is. If you tell me this, then as your death doula, like I will gently, but also forcefully if needed, make yeah. sure that like I communicate that to her that like, this is not what she wanted. So I am here to make sure that her wishes get honored. But we don't talk about these things. We don't think about them. And so it can really be an overwhelming experience for people because we we're just not ready for it. We don't know what to do. And I've also heard like the opposite as well, where people, when someone is passing, they want to have closure. Mm -hmm. So they need that time to yes. sit with them and, and kind of say, you know, I did love you, but, but, you yeah. know, that kind of thing, because they never had that conversation before. Yes. So yeah, it's, it's a whole lot of energy. And yes. so what, is. what can you tell the listeners about, you know, the feeling of being with a family and someone passing there, there's, I, I spoke to you about this earlier about, you know, the smell and the energy and the, just the whole feeling without even people talking, you, you have this whole thing going on in there. Yeah. It's, it's a very, um, yeah, it's a very different experience than everyday life, right? When somebody is dying, when you're in that space with them and you're right, there is going to be smells, there's going to be sounds, um, there's going to be things that are not going to be a normal everyday experience, but there also is a lot of energy that's happening during this time. And I think like you mentioned about being fully present, trying to be present in our own bodies, um, trying to be present with everything that's happening. I mean, I know at one point when my grandmother was dying the only way that I could explain it to somebody was everything seemed brighter. Like it felt like the entire room was like lit up, like things were like shiny or bright. And like, again, you can't necessarily put words to something that's so energy based, but I remember actually like it was so burned in my brain because I was looking around and I was like this this like, is anybody else noticing this? Like, I know. It just me? It feels so weird. <laughs> yes, I did. I felt at the time, like, and I was almost afraid to say like, Hey, is anybody else feeling this and seeing this? Because I feel like the lights just got turned up brighter, but not just the lights. It felt like everything was glowing, but it was the weirdest thing at that time, because again, I'd never experienced it, but it felt beautiful it felt calm like it wasn't scary at all no it wasn't scary for me either yeah but right? it was literally like this energy of I mean beforehand I was explaining to you when my father-in-law my ex-father-in-law passed away that the the swirling of the energy I, I just felt like really hot it was mm -hmm. like hot hot like you were in a sauna room yeah. But once he passed away, it was literally like if you could explain it with your eyes, 
it was literally like this bright light and it was very peaceful and calming. And it was just like, like a big wave, like mm -hmm. an ocean wave that just comes and takes them up. And it's almost literally like you can see them leaving the body. And some people can see, at least that's what they say, right? Like I, I try to stay very neutral in my beliefs about the end of life, like what happens to the spirit, where it goes, all that stuff, partially because I'm just fascinated by everybody else's beliefs. And I just want yeah. to hear what they think and whatever else. But there are people that work very closely um, with like the chakra system. And they say they can see the souls leaving out your crown chakra. Yeah, there's people that will have what they called a shared death experience that they will actually be sitting with somebody that as that person dies, they experience the same feeling of coming up out of their body and viewing it from like almost like above their head. And, you know, and again, because we don't talk about these things, yeah. the people that have it happen to them then sometimes are like, am I crazy? Like, <laughs> what just happened to me? And then they start to doubt even themselves. And then they don't want to talk about it. But like these things actually happen fairly regularly. And it's not just that it's like somebody like me that comes in as like an outsider. People will experience it with their own family members. Doctors have experienced it. Nurses, like people that would sometimes be like not what you would say, like, woo, right? They're not yeah. down that path at all. They're very like scientific. And they're like, I experienced this weird thing and I don't know how to explain it. Um, so it is, I think it's common enough and it's been throughout human history, through all cultures, all around the world, that there are similar experiences that if you are in the same space as somebody that is dying, yeah. that people will say the same things happened, you know, again, like the talking to the people that aren't necessarily there, right? The, right? Every culture, the same type of thing happens. If you're sitting with somebody that's dying, the feeling of things, right? The heat, the cold, the like tingles, the lights feeling different, like all of those things, people experience it throughout the world. So it's not even like, it's just like, well, maybe you heard somebody else say they had that experience. That's why you thought you did too. Like, exactly. no, we, it's across humans. We have these same experiences. And again, it's not scary. I think if anything, if we can be present for it, it's such a beautiful connecting time that we can have with our loved ones um, and really with like potentially something else, you know, God, yeah. the universe, energy, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, right? That's a really good chance for us as a healthy, you know, fully in my body living human to be able to experience a little glimpse of what there might be on the other side. I think it was very emotionally satisfying, if you want to call it that, or less difficult mm -hmm. when they do go because you know they went to somewhere nice like you like you feel the the niceness the peacefulness the happiness yeah so it just doesn't feel as difficult that that's yeah. how i felt um but what about what about people fighting like family you must have experienced lots of families just fighting in the room because they're not prepared yeah you, you know even when 
there's an accident, well, we can say, well, we weren't prepared because we didn't have the time. But even when we're given the time, we don't get prepared. Yeah. Um, and it's partially because we don't know what we're getting prepared for. We don't know what we're going to need. Yes. Um, but that's why you have me. Mm-hmm. But the problem with it, as I see, you must have experienced lots of fighting. And, and those, unfortunately, I, I feel so bad because they could experience something so lovely if they would just be present and not worry about we're not prepared. We're not prepared financially. We're not prepared. Well, what did their wishes? What did they want? Um, who gets the cup and the saucer? Who gets the Rolex watch? Who gets, you know, all of that stuff. I call it stuff because it doesn't matter in the end. It should have been discussed prior so that there was no difficulty, but people just leave it to the end because they think, well, I've, I've experienced this with a client too. Well, I'm not going to be here. So it doesn't matter. Yes. There is definitely some of that where like, I'm not going to be here. So it doesn't matter. But really, then you just put so much pressure on your family. And, you know, I think that, you know, the families that I've seen where, you know, they never speak to each other afterwards. How would your loved one have felt if they know that that's what their death did to their children, that now they never speak to each other? will possibly never speak to each other for the rest of their lives, right? Like that's that's something yeah. that we want to try to avoid if possible. Um, and yeah, there that's is actually, this belief. That's actually one of the questions on my worksheets. Oh, yeah, so, see, that's wonderful. So is there anything that needs to be discussed Yeah. Or, or a separate time for discussing maybe what grandma wanted in her china cabinet to give to certain people or something, something that's might be a little controversial, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and difficulty in discussing, but yeah, it's Mm -hmm. because we don't know what we're going to be mad about. No, no, especially because yeah, we don't know what's going to come up for us. Um, You know, a lot of cases, you know, unfortunately I think it's more common than not that families aren't prepared. So a lot of stuff does come up. There is a lot of, you know, arguing and fighting and people get upset and the things that they're really upset about don't even necessarily have anything to do with what's happening right now. It's just that because it's emotional, all the old stuff is just like coming up and it's like, so yes, like grandma's China, then people are mad when in the long run, who really needs the China? Who really wants the China? It's just that you don't want the other person to have it because you're mad that the other person got something when you were a kid and like you didn't settle it then. So a lot of these things come up and I've seen actually people that will start to give away things earlier on because they don't want this to happen where it's like, if I really want somebody to have China or I really want somebody to have this piece of jewelry, they'll maybe potentially start giving it away now. But yeah. then that also will sometimes make family members upset. Like, oh, why are you giving that to me now? You're not dying anytime soon. Well, let's actually have a conversation. Like, well, you know, what else? What else do you want me to know? You know, like you want me to have this piece of jewelry? Okay, great. So, you know, is there anything else that maybe you might want to make sure goes to somebody? Is there anything that you want to donate? Like whatever it is, just start the conversations because we need 
to have the conversations. We need to know, but we also need to make sure it's in writing, which is why the worksheets and the app and, you know, these things that you're providing are great because we need them in writing. You know, it's not like I can just go to the hospital and say, oh, well, my husband told me he doesn't want this. Well, it doesn't matter. If I don't have that in writing, the doctors are going to do whatever they have to do because that's their job. So yes. we need to have it written down somewhere and an app is great. You could have it on a piece of paper. That's fine as well. Just also know where the paper is, right? Yeah. You don't want to be on second your... problem. Yes. Yes. That happens so often. And then of course now in my brain, I was like, wait, where's my paperwork? I'm like, okay, I know where my paperwork is. Um, but like, yeah, you want to keep it. The problem with somewhere. paperwork is that it's all over the place. Yes, like, you keep it somewhere. We don't even know ourselves, right? right. Like, yeah. did I put that in the drawer or is it in the filing cabinet or did I put yeah. it already in the box to, you know, that's seven years old? Like, where mm -hmm. did I put it? Especially when we move. Yes. Oh, geez. Yeah. And that's where, too, anytime anything changes in your life, if you move, you get married, you have children, you get diagnosed with any type of illness. Um, COVID was a great one yes. uh, for us to really start saying, okay, I need to update my paperwork. Um, because that was one of the things that even like my death doula mentor, she said that, um, you know, when COVID happened and they started like innovating people, I actually didn't know what that was like until that happened. And then I started, you know, researching it and I started learning about it. And I was like, oh, I, I don't want that. I don't want that. Like, that's not a good experience. And it, doesn't always come out the way that we think it's going to be. So unless like I absolutely have to, I don't want that. But I would have never thought about it before. So no. that means I got to update my paperwork and be like, well, again, maybe under this circumstance, yes, but let's try everything else first because I don't want to go through that. And again, I don't want my family to. I don't want them no. to experience it. Well, and it's too late after. I just it I is can't too late stress after. that enough. Especially yes. when it, when you see your parents, because your parents are your parents and you're the child and that never changes. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really tough to have those conversations beforehand. Yeah. And it's really tough, but I try to make it easy with family conversation worksheets, but it's, it's tough because they don't want to think that they're dying either, even if they're not. Yeah. But once they are, they have this urge to not like, why are you asking me this? I am yeah. not dying. Yeah. But they are. <laughs> well, I mean, and the reality is we're all dying. Every moment I get closer to death. I just don't know when that is. Is it tomorrow? I hope not, but it could be. Is it in 50 years? Maybe that would be cool. But either way, I'm one minute closer to death. I'm closer to death now than when we started this conversation right? There's like, that is the reality of it is that we are all dying. But there's definitely a time when the reality is like, okay, but now we have to do something right now, we need to know. And I do find that the older somebody is, it seems like the less they want to talk about it. And I haven't figured out if that's just because of the fact that like, you the know, the older you are, or something. I think some of it is generational. I think some of it is that because there's a generation now that is, you know, getting closer to 
dying just because eventually, I mean, what's the oldest somebody lives a hundred and something. Right. Um, so yeah. I, I think that, you know, some of it is just that that generation, they didn't really talk about things at all, any difficult things. Right. And so they're yeah. just definitely, I'll, you know, I'll go to like live events and I have, you know, my little poster and it's like, really, it's beautiful. I have very, lots of flowers. I make it very calm, but as soon as people will see the word death, it seems like there's a generation of people that their eyes get really big and they're like, I don't need this. And they like turn around and they run away. And I'm like, but you, we really should have this conversation. Hold um, on, hold exactly. on, <laughs> hold on, come back. But then kids are really open to talking about it. They ask a lot of questions. They're really interested. And then there's the generation that's in between where there's like a little hesitance, but there's also that idea of like, yeah, you're curiosity probably right. Too. And yes, stuff. definitely some curiosity and this feeling of, yes, I need to do this. Even if I don't want to, I need to prepare. <coughs> Pardon me. I, I find it really um, interesting too, because I find Canadians and Americans very different when it comes to the subject, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure why, <coughs> but um, yeah, I find Canadians just feel that why do I have to be prepared because it's all going to be done for me anyways. I'm not sure what all that done for me anyways means. <coughs> oh my gosh. Um, I'm not sure what that means because nothing is done for you. <laughs> Um, whereas Americans, I, I feel like there's a little bit more embracing, um, embracing the, the, the idea and concept of death a little bit more than Canadians. It's very strange. Oh, it's, it's no problem. Uh, but yes. I do that. I do that with crying sometimes too. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I I breathed in like dust and now I'm crying. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because yeah, it gets in the throat. Yeah. But yes, there is definitely a difference um, depending on the culture somebody was raised in. Yeah. Even in America, you'll or see religions, a I guess. Mm-hmm. The first time. So I in the area of New Jersey that I live in, there's a large a population of people that come from Puerto Rico. And I mean, I've always grown up with people like it's a culture that I'm You're used to. I'm used to it. I've talked to people since I was a child that were from Puerto Rico. They lived here. My grandmother's next door neighbors were from Puerto Rico. I had no idea until a few years ago that when somebody dies in Puerto Rico, they keep their body in the house and they will be there for a few days and the children will still be there and everybody's still there. And when somebody told me that, that I worked with, I was like, really? Cause this was before I became a death doula. Do they I put was them just... in something or do they just like, so are there they is... a, do they put them in a coffin already or do they just leave them? They just kind of leave them. I mean, I think it depends on the family. If they can put them in a coffin, they will. But now like, even there's people that are not from different cultures that will do this where they do a home funeral. So they'll actually like put ice to help preserve the body. But I had no idea that people actually did that because I grew up in a culture 
that was very like, no, like somebody dies, they're usually not even in your house. They're already at the hospital. Yeah. They die, they get taken to a funeral home. You don't see them again until you show up for the viewing. Everything's perfect. Flowers, makeup, like, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up next to people that had a totally different experience around death than I had. But we just didn't, we didn't talk about it until I started asking a bunch of questions at work one day. And I was like, yeah, how do you do things? Because I have no idea. So, so there it must really be something depends. around that something around that process that they have. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think, especially now, because we are so not prepared for the dying phase, that then when somebody dies, and again, the energy shifts, we feel different, everything changes. If we can sit and be with our person and just relax into the experience and say our goodbyes and wash the body if that's something we're comfortable with it really is the beginning process of the grieving it's the beginning process of us letting go but we don't do it very often we're not trained to do it we're not yeah. even told that's an option and so there again is a lot of death doulas that now again we're never going to push something on somebody but yeah. we'll tell them that there's other ways there's other ways to do things that we just don't know about and so think about what you may want so that again that's something that can be written down that's something that could be on paper even one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that we get our healthcare proxies, right? We get the person that we want to make the decisions when we are sick and we can't communicate. But there's actually in states in the United States, a way that you can designate somebody to be basically the person that takes care of all your funeral arrangements. Because I've even talked to funeral directors that have said to me, you know, I've had people come in, they pay for their funeral. They say, this is what I want. I'm paying for it in full. The person dies, their children come in and they say, I don't want that, give me the money back, just cremate them. And there's nothing the funeral director can do. They have to, because the child is the person that is now designated to be in charge. I've heard of a case where there was a brother and a sister. The sister knew that, you know, mom wanted to be cremated and what she wanted for the memorial service. The funeral director said, I cannot do this until your brother gets here and signs this paperwork because he didn't want the brother coming back and suing. And because, mm -hmm. and thankfully they said they were able to reach the brother and he was like, fine, whatever, like, I don't care, but you need to know these things so that you can designate one person to be able to make those decisions. And even sometimes when it's your healthcare proxy, it might not be your husband or your wife or your parent or your child. Yeah. Because they're going to be too emotional to make those decisions. So that even if you have it written down on paperwork, if the doctors say, do you want to do this thing? If you're super emotional and you're really attached and you're like, I will do anything to keep them here. 
Well, what yeah. if that's not what they wanted? So it's sometimes better to have a friend or a trusted person. And again, that's where death doulas can come in, where I have somebody that's one of my clients that he doesn't have anybody. He doesn't have children. He doesn't have a wife. And so I am his person because he needed somebody and he asked. And this is one of the things that I even checked with my mentor. I was like, is it okay if like legally I'm, and she was like, yeah, if that's what he wants, then that's fine. That's so now I'm his person. Yeah. Because he didn't have anybody else and he does not want any type of like, he's like, I, I interference. Just, he just yeah, wants I just want to go. Yes. It's um, sometimes people will call it um, allowing natural death versus the idea of like, um, you know, I want every life-saving measure. Well, okay. But it gets to a point where if natural death would occur without those things, it's not necessarily a life-saving measure. It's that the person is dying. It's a natural process. Like, let's just allow that to happen naturally. And of course, keep them comfortable. You know, that's the thing why they give, um, you know, morphine at the end of life. I've heard all kinds of things. I've had people say to me, they do that to kill them. No, no, they don't. I promise there's no hospice nurse out there that is going to give somebody morphine to kill them. Um, they're just going to help keep them comfortable. Sometimes keep the give, pain under control. So they're exactly. not suffering. Keep the pain under control. They have, you know, medications to keep anxiety down. They have medications, even something like your temperature will go up and you'll essentially run a very high fever at the end of life. Not all the time, but a lot of people will. And then their body temperature will drop drastically. Because the first time that somebody said one of the other death duels, you know, in my training, that they'll give, you know, Tylenol or something to stop a fever. And I said, well, if they're dying anyway, why would you stop a fever? They said, well, because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to have a high fever and be sweating and you're yeah. changing their sheets and all. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So like they will do things to keep somebody comfortable, but they're not going to do something that's going to potentially extend their life any longer because death is a natural thing. Death is a natural process, but it's, you know, can be uncomfortable in the sense of that, you know, if you're in pain because yeah. you had some type of a cancer, then yes, let's control the pain so that you can be comfortable but it's not that the death is uncomfortable. It's whatever you're going through that is leading to the death that could be uncomfortable. Right. Um, what would you say for people that say, you know, what is a death doula? Why should I get one? Yeah. So I think a lot of people think, oh, I only need a death doula when it's the end. I'm going to call them in, you know, last minute when I just need support. When really... Death doulas are people that at any stage of your life, you can call and have them help you go through this paperwork, help you have the conversations, help you have the conversations with your family. Maybe even you're my age, you know, you're in your forties and you want to have a conversation with your husband and your parents and your children, but you're not really sure how to go about it because nobody wants to talk about it. That's where death doulas can come in and we can help. So kind also, of like a mediator kind of thing. Kind of like a mediator. Now I've even had people say to me, you almost sound like you're a life coach. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm an end of life coach, right? I can help. Yeah. 
I can help you even have this time for you to think about the things. I can ask the questions that need to be asked so that you know what you even need to think about so that you don't feel alone, so you don't feel overwhelmed, so you know you know, where to turn to. That's why I even have a lot of resources of companies like yours or different paperwork where I'm like, okay, these are things that we can do. It's not my thing. I'm just going to help you find the things that you need and make sure that they get done. But then also, you know, death doulas, if you find out that you're diagnosed with an illness, if somebody that you love is diagnosed with an illness, you can call us to come in and support you, support them. Some death doulas will even like sit with all calls like sitting vigil. So if somebody is actively dying, it's one of the services that I offer my family members that, you know, if you want me to come and sit with you and that's where birth doulas and death doulas are very similar. Yeah, It might be two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and somebody calls and says, Hey, it's time. Mom's dying. Can you please come sit with me? But we also try to prepare people for that experience so that maybe when that time comes, you're thinking, okay, actually, I might be able to do this because you don't have to call hospice. You don't have to call the hospital. Don't call 911. Like, don't do those things. If you're with somebody and you're caring for them and they're dying, it's not a medical emergency. You can sit with them and you don't even have to call anybody right away. Again, you could sit with them for a few hours And then you could call hospice and say, hey, they passed. It was 11 o'clock last night. Now it's eight o'clock in the morning, but I just wanted to be with them. That's okay. You can do that. Take the time. Take the time. Because really, it's it's a time in our lives to be with somebody that we loved and be able to really say our goodbyes. And, you know, you talked a little bit too about like having you know, some of like the regrets and maybe conversations that you wanted to have with somebody, it's never too late to do that. Like even now, one of the things that I do is I work a lot with grief. I didn't expect to do it when I did my death doula training. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that have, you know, the unfinished business. They have a lot of grief that they're holding on to. And so I can have conversations and I can do activities and we can journal and like we could do all these different things that allow you to get that closure, even once somebody has physically died, once their, you know, their body has passed on, you know, depending again on what you believe. Yeah. I do believe that sometimes you can actually still talk to the person. You can still be connected enough with them that you can get that closure. You can still have that conversation. And so that's why it's really never too early or even too late to find a death doula to support you through this because it really is something that we experience whether we want to or not. And so death rulers are here to help you through it and just be your support and your guide and make it a little bit less confusing and less overwhelming because we're there to help you. And it's such a journey, especially when the person is passing and it's taking a long time, like sometimes it's six months or a month or, you know, mm-hmm. even two years or something that that oh, long yeah. process, right? And so it's kind of nice to have that backup coach to kind of coach you through, okay, this is what you're going to expect. And this is what you might feel. And yeah, because you think when something takes so long, you think, oh, you know, I've been 
processing this for so long and especially caregivers I find and it's 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 all going to be okay because I'm expecting it you know yeah. you're expecting this but when it happens <laughs> it's like you're not expecting anything because yeah. you're still not really prepared like you were waiting for it but yeah it happened well, and also you know if you're a caregiver You'll see this really often where, and I even did it when I took care of my grandmother. I was so focused on like, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to keep the house clean and I need to go here and I need to do that. And like, so focused on all the things I had to do. But then when she did die, it just stops. And I didn't, you know, I hadn't been taking good care of myself. I was exhausted. I was, you know, run down where it didn't have to be that way. Right. And that's where actually I even wrote a um, caregiver journal that I sell on Amazon for that purpose to have this little bit of guidance for somebody that's caregiving somebody at the end of life on how to take care of yourself, because it's so important that you take care of yourself while you're taking care of somebody else. Yeah. And really then this way, when everything does stop, the fact that you were, basically numbing yourself by staying During so busy. Exactly. And now you don't have that anymore. So all of it comes crashing down onto you. And then you're going to feel all the things that you had avoided feeling while you were caregiving. And there's this idea too, where like, I'm what they call the sandwich generation. I waited until I was older to have kids. My mother is a little bit older. And so I have an older mother and I have little kids. And so I'm really stuck in between taking care of two different generations, Yeah, which I'm not necessarily taking care of my mother because she's end of life. But you know, at 75, there's things that are happening. And there's things that like, we need to start talking about and preparing for. And it, there's definitely some caregiving that is already starting to happen. But I also have an eight year old that still, you know, needs help tying her shoes. So I'm very stuck between two different generations of caregiving. And I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people out there yeah. like me. And that's really the people that I can help in a lot of ways is like, you know, let death doulas help you through some of this so that you're not going through the experience alone. You know, mm -hmm. like you're not trying to take care of all these different people while not taking care of yourself. So death duels are there to help support you through it. Especially from a different perspective, because you don't really see yourself running around like a chicken with its <laughs> yeah. head cut off. Like, Yeah. And you don't see it. So, but you coming in will say, look, calm down, relax, chill. Sure. We got this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there is some, you know, hospice, a lot of times they will have volunteers that will come in and offer what they call like respite care, where, you know, they'll say to you like, okay, you can go, go out, you know, I'll sit, which again, that's amazing. It's wonderful. Make sure that if you have the opportunity to use those services that you do, people wait too long to use hospice as well, because yeah. they think hospice is only for the end. Don't wait until the end to call in hospice because they really will help you for a much longer period of time than most people realize. And they will have people that can come in and help. But again, that's like, okay, they're going to come in for an hour and sit. Yeah, I can help you come up with a way to plan to take care of yourself. 
I can help you come up with a plan of like, you know, again, a lot of people will offer, hey, what can I do to help? Well, I don't know. I don't, don't know what know. you could do to help. Well, that's when I can help you. And I could say, can you have somebody come over and help load and unload your dishwasher? What if somebody wants to take the trash out? What if one of your neighbors says, I'll take your trash out every day? Right. Is there somebody give you a meal every day? Exactly. You might have somebody that wants to give you a meal every day. And it's okay to give people options. If somebody says, Hey, I know you're taking care of your husband. I know this is really hard on you. What can I do to help? You could say, well, you know, maybe you can go to the grocery store for me. Or even if you just want to come over and sit for a little while so I can take a shower and I'm not worried that he's going to fall and can't get up. Yeah some options because people want to help, but they don't always know what to do. And they're also not always going to be comfortable with everything. So you could say, these are things that I need. And I have like a list of things like you might want to ask for help with these 40 different things. But if you don't know to think about it, you're not necessarily going to say it. So when somebody says, what can I do? You're like, I don't know. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Like, no, get, get the help, take the help. When people want to help you take the help. That's awesome. You, yeah, you will need it. What final message? And I, I know you had a bunch of final messages there. What final message do you have from your experiences that you could tell the listeners? I think really the, the like final message is we don't need to be afraid of death and dying and that if we can think about it now, if we can prepare ourselves and our loved ones for it now, it could really be a much better experience. And so find some support, find some death doulas. I mean, people can reach out to me. Again, I work with people all around the world. It's not like you have to be in New Jersey, even though I'm here to yeah, just I, help you. Sorry to interrupt. I did That's like great. that part where because you might have family, like the one brother might be in New York and another mm -hmm. sister might be in California. And so it doesn't really matter where they, but you can bring everybody together on Zoom or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and I can make conversations. I, I know what questions to ask, you know, like this is, this is why we do this training so that we know what to help people through because we've seen it and we've experienced it. And so, yeah, you can be anywhere and you can have family all over the place, but you want to have these conversations, you know, find, find somebody that can help and death doulas can do it. And again, I'm available to help people anywhere because thanks to the way that the world is now with technology, we can do this work together no matter where you are. That's amazing, that part of it, how it's changed, isn't it? I think it's amazing, too, honestly, because, again, I'm not necessarily going to be for everybody. You know, different death doulas do things differently. We have different personalities. And so somebody might be watching your show and think, oh, my, I don't I don't think I could talk to her. I wouldn't feel comfortable. Find a death doula that you are comfortable with. You know, search the Internet for death doulas. There's a bunch of us and there's even more. There's a lot of us going through training now. Find somebody you are comfortable with and have these conversations because it is important. We need to do it now before the emergency happens. And then all of a sudden you have to make the decisions and you have to think about it. Let's start thinking about it now. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Thank you, Jill. You're so welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it's funny because um, 
I didn't say you were married with two kids at the time, but you did talk about that. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to uh, forget that part. It's okay. I, I'm going to definitely have you come back because there's so much to talk about around this subject with what you've seen and experienced. And, you know, it's almost like a, a book, you know, yes. a movie, so to speak. Um, now, I did leave your website information in the description box below for any listeners as well. Now, okay. can they get your book from your website? Yeah. So if you go to my website, which is just endoflifeclarity.com, uh, there's a link to my book. Um, there's also, you know, my Facebook group where we have conversations. If you just want to start kind of dipping your toes in a little bit and having some conversations, I'm end of life clarity on um, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and um, you know, you're again, you're welcome to just reach out to me even through email. And I can always answer questions. I'm just happy to start these conversations with people. I mean, I really, I think it's so important that I just love to start the conversations. Yeah, it's such, such needed. It, it really it's is. So it's so needed. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you You're for welcome. coming on our show. I'm definitely going to have you come back. I think we can never talk about this enough. Um, about the experiences that people have, uh, whatever that might look like and what the experience that you might start thinking about from watching the show about what it is that you want. What do yeah. you want it to look like? Um, and from start to finish, like from now when there's nothing wrong to when you do have a disability or sickness to, to the end, what, mm -hmm. what do you want that picture to look like? Something we definitely don't think about and we no. don't talk about. Nope, we don't. No. Yeah, it's true. So thank you so very much, uh, Jill, welcome. for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for um, having me. I appreciate oh, you giving us a platform. And I say us for all death doulas, right? Giving us a platform yeah. to be able to share, you know, this message with people because it's important so work important. and we need to do it. Yeah. So please take a moment and like and subscribe. There we go. Get my hand in there and subscribe and press on that button if you haven't already, please. Um, and if you were thinking about that special someone today watching the show that you haven't talked to in a while, please reach out. We still have phones. Um, call them, knock on the door, FaceTime them, Zoom them, whatever it takes because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Stay tuned for our podcast and our live streams. I have great conversations with some of the most interesting and accomplished people in the world today, just like Jill, who has brought her experiences and her, her passion for what she does to all of us today. Um, I hope we've inspired you and motivated you to think about some of these things. It doesn't have to be difficult. Nobody's Superman. Expect the unexpected. And thank you again to all our listeners and returning uh, visitors. Um, we are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok. It's almost like a song. 
Facebook group. We have a Facebook group that's growing every day. Um, it's unbelievable because people can share their stories or questions with each other. It's a like-minded community. So check it out on Facebook as well. Um, thank you for sharing your time with us. Um, and I love each and every one of you. Jill doesn't know it, but I always end our show with Carol Burnett. You know who Carol Burnett is, I'm sure. No, I do, yeah. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started and before you know it comes a time we have to say so long. So long, my friends. Stay up, uh, be kind, stay safe. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jill, for coming on our show. Did you wanna say anything? Yeah, thank you everybody for listening. It's, um, it's important that I share this message and I appreciate you you know, taking the time, maybe feeling a little uncomfortable throughout some of it, um, but sticking with us. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. It's important. Mm -hmm. And the more we talk about it, the more we understand the process, the less difficult it is. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that to us on the forefront. And I appreciate everything you do in your job. It's helping and healing so many people. So thank you. And Thank you, everybody. And till next time, be kind, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Bye.